Thank you so much for joining our Gen Church Wa podcast. We are a community of everyday people committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. It's 2022. We have so many exciting events, gatherings, and opportunities for you around Generations Church. If you'd like to learn more about these opportunities, these events, these gatherings, head over to mygenerations.church to check them out. So what does it mean to be spiritual? How does followership of Jesus look in an era of postmodernism and deconstruction? We're getting back into our series on 1 Corinthians called Masterclass, where the Apostle Paul will help us navigate our cultural moment. Let's respond to the scripture and spirit together. Chapter 12, verses 12 through 22. Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts from one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of but one part of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong on the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not the eye, I do not belong to the body, it would, for that reason, not stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body all seem to be weaker or indispensable. So welcome back to Master Class. This week we continue to review how the church differs from other groups that gather. I loved how Charity talked about just that, let your freak flag fly. I got to make sure I say that well. That was a, I you get really, because there are things, there are all types of groups that gather in our world, but what makes the church different and unique is our divine purpose, that, that together, while we have many affinities and affiliations, that we come together under the banner of Jesus. And every group has a purpose, but the church's divine purpose is to be the alternative to the city within the city. Thus, as Paul writes to the Corinthian church, they are to be God's alternative to Corinth in Corinth. Meaning the church in their operation and relations are to display what full humanity in community with God and others would be like. Which means that for us at Generations, as we encourage people to connect, as we encourage people to build honest relationships with each other, understanding that why we exist is because of Jesus, and to respond out of that, that because you belong first to Christ and second to His church, that if you don't show up to enough meetings, we're not going to revoke your membership. <laughs> that if you don't wear the right gear when you're supposed to wear it, that we take away your status. So many groups 
that I am a part of or know have qualifications for membership. That you have to jump through all of these hoops to step in. For us at Generations Church, there is no qualification that precludes you from showing up and gathering with others. Bringing your full self to the table. But we do want you to know that we want you to say yes to Jesus. To respond and be baptized and immersed into Him and be a part of that family culture. We absolutely want you to say that, but there is no, there's no barrier, there's no hoops, there's no 10-point checklist that says, do this, then this, then this, and then you can show up, then you can ask your questions, then you can seek to find your place. No, just be. Amen. Open yourself up. Ask those questions because we welcome those. Because we want you to understand that it is because of Jesus that when we do that and then respond, that we're able to interact and operate in such a way that says and shows why Jesus shows us what it's like to be truly human, why he provides the answer to life's questions that allows us to be responsive in any and every difficult situation that we find ourselves in Monday through Saturday and even on Sunday, that he gives us the words, he gives us the wisdom, he gives us the ability to be fully present and to live and love well. But the Corinthians did not always understand this, and it shows up in their misunderstanding of what it meant to be fully equal before God. It showed up in their rituals and reminders, such as the Lord's Supper, And both articulated in the last two weeks from 1 Corinthians 11, how they misunderstood that. And Paul continues to show how the building up of the church and the formation of its people happened through the Spirit and the spoken Word of God. For Paul says, for they to be people of the Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans... You used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one says Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are many different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are many different ministries, but the same Lord. For Paul says, for they to be people of the Spirit. Being people of the Spirit in this context means to edify the community and gathering for the perfect has not come. We're going to get to that next week in 1 Corinthians 13. And when it does come, it will include the resurrection of the body. That's 1 Corinthians 15. Albeit a spiritual body that is the same body adapted to the realities of eternity. So chapter 12 is a section within a larger section. 12 through 14 and within chapters of 11 through 15 overall. So Paul's concluding remarks in the last chapter about the hope of eternity, about the hope about the adapted body to the realities of eternity should be read back in for how the church portrays those realities now and must be factored in here. There needs to be what Paul wants is intelligibility, in spiritual communication, and accessibility by the church when they gather. I'll give you some practical example of how we at Generations apply this truth. Charity stood up here a few minutes ago and did exactly that. She gave you, hey, let me give you the verbal agenda. 
for what's happening. Because we know people come from different walks of life, different experiences, are part of different clubs and gatherings, um, come from different even church experiences. And so how generations chooses to operate and gathers, the order in which we do things is then narrated so that we can help all different types of people understand the love and grace of Jesus, to make plain the word of God and His will and His way so that it can be accessible so that they can then respond where they live, work, and play. We want the word of God. We want our gathering to be understood, and we want someone who has other experience with other groups to hear what makes us distinct and what drives us. For we are a community of everyday people committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generation to come. So we share that vision, and we clearly say that, that we are a family connecting, teaching, responding, There's a time with communion, music, and giving, and prayer. And we want people to understand why do we do those different things to give clarity. And it's not just because that's what you're supposed to do as the church. It's not just because, oh, this is our tradition, or this is our denomination, or this is our flavor. No, we have thought through what we do when we gather, but not only thinking through it, we want to make sure we are in tune with the Holy Spirit so that when things are, we're inspired, that our spirit led for who is in the room and also online, what they need to hear, when they need to hear it, we can respond in such a way that God speaks Amen. and moves Amen. to move in the lives of people. So I love when Charity says, like, hey, I'm going to go off the cup for a minute. Or when Richard does it, or when Jonathan Hawkins does it, or John, or even Charles, when we are able to respond in the moment and say, hey, I know we didn't plan this, but God is doing something here, and that's life lived in the Spirit, moment by moment saying, I value who is here, I am in connection with God, or doing my best to be so, and sharing what needs to be shared. And so fully aware of the chaos in the Corinthians gatherings, because they were not as ordered. They had people popping up. And so it'd be like people popping up right now when I'm trying to talk. And other people would try to talk. And that kind of like drives us crazy. Because that's not church. Of course there's an order. Of course the preacher speaks. But it's like not so necessarily in their gatherings. They're, they're communal. They're, 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 that's why we even, when we start in, we start with family time. And we start with communication. We want to make sure though also that we're not talking over each other. That we're listening. That we're hearing the praises and the prayers of God's people. And that we're not so, oh, you got something good? I'm going to one-up you. I'm going to go over you or or oh you got some bad well let me give you something way worse you don't have it near as bad as me but what happens is if we don't order ourselves in such a way to where we can actually listen and respond where we can see the work of God and the blessings that what he is doing but then also hear the cries of his people then we miss what we are supposed to be in the world and so that's why Paul begins with what belongs to the Spirit and what does not. Paul emphasizes the need for the diversity of gifts and the manifestation of the one Spirit. Though I may not choose to say things the way someone else chooses to say it, or though I may not choose that type of order, we can affirm and we can understand that God is at work and that He shows up in each person's unique personality and gifts because He is the one who has given them. 
But so much of our world conflates pseudo-spirituality with actual spirituality. For example, when there's a tragedy, it's really easy and common for people to say thoughts and prayers or good vibes or comment the heart or heartbreak and just tossing it in the air with the hopes of bringing change to the situation and that if we just throw enough positivity into the air, it'll come back like a karmic boomerang back to us. And we say things in hopes that it manifests some changes. Meanings that we say things that sound spiritual, that sound good, like tongues, which Paul will get to here in a moment. But inspired or spiritual sounding things in of themselves does not mark what is truly of the Spirit. Rather, it's intelligible content. When we say it, It is backed not by our own thoughts or own opinions or just our necessary life experiences, but it's backed first and foremost through those backed by the Word of God that shows up. So that when we say things about specific situations and specific people, it's not just well wishes or empty thoughts and prayers or just doing things because I'm supposed to do them, but we say them because we're grounding ourselves in the Word of God through the Spirit of God, bringing it out to in someone's life. So that we can look at people with love and care and bring out an accurate confession of Jesus as Lord. As Jesus is loving, as God is present and the Spirit responding and empowering in your life. And what happens is if we're not backed by the Word of God through the Spirit and speaking in the lives of others, what happens is like in the 1 Corinthians case, is they say something as silly as, well, Jesus is cursed. And you're like, well, how does that even come out? What comes out is because we toss up enough pseudo-spirituality into the air. We comment enough things. We share enough posts on Instagram that sound spiritual-like that they never have any sort of root in the Word of God. Then what happens is you lend yourself over to a place where you're sharing something that's not actually the Christian faith at all. And what happens then is we are a poor witness within the world and we don't gather well. Because we placate nice. Or we're judgmental. Instead of saying what is true about God, then what is true about us, and how we should respond out of that. And Paul begins to draw their minds back. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant about your life prior to Christ. Why there may have been spiritual utterances why there may have been things in your past that you're like, I'm just trying to manifest it, I'm trying to make it happen. If I just have enough faith or just believe, it'll come into reality. No matter the type of spiritual experiences in your background, what Paul is saying to the Corinthians in this moment is mute idols cannot hear nor answer prayer. In contrast to the Spirit of God who can and does. I like it to superstitions when people say, well, I'll just throw some salt over my shoulder or knock on wood. You're buying into a way of thinking that manipulates people, that tries to manipulate the situations and circumstances of life, but it holds empty power unless you give yourself over to it. Because you've bought into a system or a way of doing things that say, if I say the right things or if I do the right things, then it will produce the right outcome. If I mix the ingredients together in just the right way, I'll get a nice cake and then I'll be able to eat it too. But the reality is, 
The Spirit of God brings power and force rooted in the Word of God. The Spirit uses the Word of God to bring out certain things in our life so that when we say things into the situations of others, your Christian speech should always ascribe power and trust to God and be understandable. Because Christianese is the same as another religion. It's the same as a faulty religion. I don't know if you've been around the church too long, but you tend to start to pick up on some phrases and things that sound spiritual-like, but are pseudo-spiritual and lack true power. We say things like, if it be God's will, but in the back of our mind it says, I really don't think God is going to answer this one. We say things like, oh, that's not my spiritual gift. And what we really mean is find someone else. (laughs) We say sometimes words like fellowship, which could also mean organized gluttony. (laughs) We say the Lord works in mysterious ways. In reality, we just mean I'm totally clueless. (laughs) Or Lord willing. You may think I'll be there, but I won't. (laughs) You may say, oh, I just don't feel led. And you go, ah, I just can't make me. <laughs> Maybe God really helped me with that test for you, for you students. And the translation is, I didn't study, but I guess good, so I'm giving God the credit in hopes that he'll help me again. <laughs> There's all kinds of phrases and things we say because we think that's what's desired of us. When we gather, when we serve, and when we're out in the world, I mean, I got a whole other list here. I mean, you could probably think of a few. Hedge of protection, traveling mercy, lay hands on. And it's like, are we going to fight or are we going to pray? <laughs> In sports, we call empty speech without content coach speak. And it drives people crazy because what they hear is words coming out of a mouth that really have no power, no punch, and really don't mean a whole lot. lot. It's what happens when you don't talk with substance. And what happens is if we say certain things like some of that Christianese, some of the the empty pseudo-spiritual like, as we say or appear that Christ is not Lord. And when you are led by the Spirit, in your speech, you will confess in substantive and specific ways that Christ is Lord and God, which may mean it's okay to say, I don't have the answers, but I'm willing to sit with you until God shows up and provides us some answers because he has led me to be other-centered. Or it may mean like, man, I, that, that seems like a really terrible situation, and I don't wish that on anybody. But you can be honest about that and pray specifically for God to move and not have in the back of your mind, ah, well, if he doesn't, you know, kind of hedge our bets. No, rather, in specific ways, we can be honest about where we're at with God, where we're at with another. And in the midst of that maybe space, and silence. That's where God shows up. But we, we, we sabotage the work of God when we try to fill the void with empty speech. We try to fill the void with empty posts because we're just trying to put something good out into the world rather than just call a spade a spade and say, I need God to move and waste that I can't see how the answer works out or can't even understand how they might use this for good. 
And if we miss this setup, then we make the same mistake as the Corinthians, that the presence of the Spirit and power and gifts make it easy for God's people to think of the power and gifts as the real evidence of the Spirit's present. We misunderstand what the Spirit gives and blesses. We think that the evidence and the outcomes of gifts or wise words or actions is the good thing in and of themselves. No, it's actually the presence of the Spirit confirmation that Jesus is Lord of your life and that then manifests itself in the gifts of the Spirit is the good thing. Amen. See, the ultimate evidence of the Spirit actually is the exaltation of Jesus as Lord, which in turn expresses itself in loving concern for others. It's only the work of the Spirit that can take a selfish heart and turn authority over to another and turn selfish people into selfless people. And whatever takes away from the Lordship of Jesus, even if, it be, even if it's legitimate expressions of the Spirit, begins to move away from Christ to a more pagan fascination with spirit activity as an end in itself. To this, we need unique people who love Jesus. And in loving Jesus, they live the way of Jesus, manifesting the Spirit, being unified under Jesus. And there are several callbacks to realities that we can take away from the, the remaining passage. Well, I just got five, so we won't be here all day. We'll be here for a minute. Paul says, now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God who works all of them in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. Then Paul goes on to provide tangible lists that, that's rather obvious in the life of the church. See, the first reality is that no one has all the gifts. I gotta state the obvious here. You don't have it all. I don't have it all. I can't stand up here, teach and speak, and then sing because God didn't give me that gift. <laughs> Thank God. I'm thankful the way God has made me, and that in my own humanity, I have to rely on others. I don't have all the wisdom of, of what it looks like to raise kids that love the Lord. I'm not there yet. I, I, don't, I don't have all the wisdom of what it looks like to pastor a church through a pandemic. I get to rely on the Spirit and its power to help us move and navigate together. I get to lean on you all, to, to, to lean on your wisdom and experience and gifting to say, this is how we should move and move together. Amen. See, we need each other. You are not meant to do life alone, and that is more than a cliche. It shows up in passages like this where it says you have gifts in the power of the Spirit. So bring your full self, bring those gifts to the table, and not, don't be ashamed that you don't have it all because you're not supposed to. Second, the reality builds on the first. That failure to remember who gives the gifts will result in narcissism meaning you won't be able to metabolize shame, take correction, or truly grow. <laughs> Failure to remember who gives the gifts, that is God, Amen. through the Spirit, will result in narcissism, mm. meaning you won't be able to metabolize shame, mm. take correction, or truly grow. 
if we need each other and to truly fulfill our divine purpose, the temptation will be to find shortcuts to accomplish the task, which means we will self-justify, we will put ourselves in positions when we feel weak or powerless, we will manipulate, we will try to control, we will try to excuse away. Our culture values efficiency and convenience. So the moment that that is threatened, we will try to seek ways of maneuvering ourselves, our words, and our lives and fail to really open ourselves up to say, I actually do need help. I can't figure this out alone. But what happens is we think narcissism is making it all about ourself. And in some ways that is true. But it shows up in insidious ways when we think that if we can just manipulate the world in just the right way, if we can just manipulate our circumstances just the right way, if we can say the right things, do the right things, have the right people in our life, that we can protect ourselves from hurt or feeling or seeming weak. And that's the whole point. I am weak. You are weak. You're not supposed to have it all together. So rely on the strengths of others to fill in the gaps. A good team doesn't simply say, oh, like we're, we're as strong as our weakest link. No, it's, it's for the church. It's not we're as strong as our weakest link. We're, we're only as strong as we admit our weakness. We have to admit our weakness so Christ's power can show up in us and through us in relying on others. But what happens is that things speak into our lives. It tries to sabotage us. That thinking everybody needs to be like us, because that's one way we try to metabolize shame or fail to take correction. If, if people were more like us, then we'd be okay. But our culture values efficiency and convenience and sabotages things like true unity in diversity. And one perspective that our world says at us is to celebrate diversity, and hang on with me here for a moment, by prioritizing differences in ethnicity, nationality, gender, and increasingly sexual orientation. This perspective trains us to feel right and good when these various identities are included in our community. A room full of faces of the same color feels wrong, even immoral. But it's more than just checking all the right boxes, having all the right people. It's not having diversity for the sake of diversity. It's having diversity present, remembering that every person is created in the image of God and that we don't have all the gifts. Therefore, we should have people reflected in our life who are different from us. So not celebrating diversity for diversity's sake, but recognizing that diversity brings out the full power of God in our world. A second perspective asks us to celebrate uniformity. In much of the world, you can't or at least aren't supposed to mix difference. You might live in a remote territory with only one economic class or ethnicity, or in a country that practices a caste system that separates people before they're born with no possibility of changing positions, or in a political system that demands obedience to the state in all things, including religion. Uniformity is considered the highest value. A room where people disagree with each other over politics or their view of world feels wrong, even immoral. Diversity and uniformity 
might appear to be pushing in opposite directions, but these differences obscure the underlying similarities. Both perspectives create community through exclusion. It's more obvious in the uniformity perspective. If you put out all the wrong yard sign, you don't go to the right church, you associate with the people from the wrong cast, you're excluded from the community. The same thing happens, though, in push towards diversity. Only a certain kind of diversity is allowed. You can be from different ethnicity, but you can't disagree over sexual ethics. You can be proud to come from another country, but you can't support the wrong political party. You can be celebrated for your gender, but not for insisting on biological differences between genders. Competing values sabotage this desire for unity and diversity. Take examples of the past two weeks. First, the Corinthians wanted to rid genders for uniformity, yet they caused divisions by taking the Lord's Supper in their own economic classes. So this is not a new dilemma. This is something that Corinthians saw in their own church. I share both of that to say the only way that this can be sustained, sustained well, is under the banner of Jesus, who sees you precisely as you are and calls people up to follow Him first and foremost, to not be limited by who you see yourself as, but to see yourself, to see others, how God sees them. Even in the midst of this description, you may feel the orientation of your own heart to be pulled towards preservation. This is why we must remember one in the same spirit is active in all these gifts, distributing to each person as he wills. Paul relays the point again as he transitions to how we are able to live this out. Hint, love, 1 Corinthians 13. It's not as much about marriage as you think. It's more about unity and diversity being present with each other when we look at each other, not judging each other, not making an evaluation of someone being the sum total of their past, their fears, and their mistakes, nor their gifting or their outward appearance. But doing so in such a way that when we connect with people, that the lens through which we interact is first and foremost how Jesus has loved and accepted us and given us gifts. And remember, it's God that gave you your gifts. You didn't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You may have worked hard. You may have disciplined yourself to learn things over life. Maybe you've even learned things the hard way. You've got great experience and wisdom. But it's first and foremost a gift from God. Diversity within unity. Unity over uniformity. It takes a supernatural work of the Spirit to keep us from arguing amongst ourselves. For example, like we could argue over something frivolous. What's the best way to get from Vancouver to Seattle? Is it by boat, by train, by car, by plane? Which road are you going to take? Are you going to go all, all the way to the east and then up? Or are you going to go, you know, take I-5? Because some of you are like, well, that's the most efficient and fastest way. Of course you're going to take that way. But what happens is our perspective and our differences and our backgrounds experiences get us arguing over something rather than the intended de- destination. And the intended destination for the church is to represent the kingdom of heaven on earth, Amen. displaying people living and loving the way of Jesus, living and loving Jesus. And pointing people towards that. There was little controversy in the activity of all the gifts in the life of the church. Because see, what happens is in relational connection, we know relationships are messy. 
that certain gifts will have to come out in difficult relationships. So we shouldn't be surprised when he talks about wisdom, knowledge, miracle, and more. But the problem is, is it's difficult for us because our world lacks enchantment in daily life because we've automated so many of our relationships. We relegate miracles and leaps of faith and supernatural love to shows, to TV. But if we don't recognize that God is at work in all things, then it will, what we will manufacture will be flawed. And we have to recognize that God is at work. And if we are to pursue people as Jesus has pursued us, then we cannot help but see the gifts come to light. We will unconsciously turn off the relational circuit breaker that we so desperately need to navigate life if we do not pursue people the way Jesus has pursued us and recognize that God gives us gifts and they must come out in the context of relationships. And to this, Paul gives that list of gifts to show how God distributes his grace. Each person has a place. And in this list, Paul is not exhaustive. And also, no person is beyond correction. This is why our values, spirit over self and story over sin, must happen in tandem. So that we are careful not to react out of our stories and destroy. Rather, we can see God's good work in our story and allow it to root out sin and selfishness. This is the alternative to the world. And Paul presses on with this analogy to help the Corinthians understand how diversity in unity manifests itself like a body. In its first instance, in chapter 10, verse 17, Paul's point was that, there are any, that they are one body. A point made on the basis of many of them eating the one loaf at the Lord's table. This note is struck here once again, except that they aren't truly unified unless the diversity of gifts is present. The third reality, your gift isn't for you. Spiritual gifts tests to find your place in the church can often be helpful, but they can also be limiting. That you think the only place that you can serve, the only place you can live, the only thing you, the only thing you can do is live out your gift in that way. See, the reality is you already have place in the church, and we want you to find your place. But your gift is only accessed in relationship for the sake of others. Gifts are for the building up of the church. Just think, if some of these gifts were more active in our culture, the first thing out of someone's mouth would be, get your phone, not praise be to God. I think sometimes, because we distance ourselves in relationships with others, we wonder, where are you, God? Why don't we see these gifts? Why aren't they come out as ready and available? I think it's because we've automated relationships. We've kept people at a distance. We've not opened ourselves up to others. So of course you're not going to see God work because the gifts of the other are not for themselves. They are for you and your gifts are for them. Therefore, we have to be in relationships. Probably at this point, I should make a special note about life in the Spirit. A driving claim throughout is the present activity of the Spirit. People want to see and experience God, and they, they, they desire Him. That God, they want to see Him, they, we want to see Him show up in tangible and practical ways. But it, the way that starts, the way it's activated, is life not lived in isolation, 
not thinking we can manufacture our life for ourselves by our own strength or willpower. It's life lived with others, with God, for God, and for others. And in that reality, the Spirit will show up and work in our life. Because when you hear a difficult situation or scenario from someone else, and you're like, I don't have any idea what to say. Huh, that's space for the Spirit to work. When you don't have an answer for like, hey, there's a tangible need. Mm -hmm. I don't have the money or resources in my pockets to be able to meet that. Good, you're not supposed to. Someone else in the church is and does. Mm -hmm. But if we stay in isolation and never vocalize those things, the prayers and the praises of how God is at work, then we will forget and slowly recluse ourselves into saying, well, I I guess i got to figure out how to do this on my own. And my greatest grief that what I would have for Generations Church. The reason, Charity said earlier, the reason we talk so much about family is because I need you to hear loud and clear. The worst thing that you can do is try to figure out life, faith, job, marriage, relationship, how to help people, career path, is in isolation. That is the worst thing that you can do. It is to be with God, with others, and when that shows up, and when you begin to verbalize that to others, you'll be shocked to know, or maybe you won't be shocked, I say that sarcastically, to know that there's someone else within this church who God has provided and gifted this church to help you navigate that exact same thing in your life. Amen. And so you've got to verbalize it. You've got to share that. See, that's what happens is we limit ourselves and recluse in isolation. So the fourth reality is you don't have only one gift. And your primary gift doesn't always have to be retrofitted to a model of the church. You may be wondering, well, Kyle, I'm not quite seeing if I figure out, find my place here. I'm not good at meeting new people, so maybe I shouldn't be a greeter. So where should I be? And it's like, good, I'm not trying to pigeonhole you or shoehorn you into being having a role at our church. My question for you is, what is your gifts and your passions? How can we help bring that reality? And maybe a whole new ministry, maybe a whole new thing gets created because God has done something in you, in your life, and that needs to be expressed. Amen. So don't let me set the limits yeah. on your gifting or your passion. Don't let generations, our philosophy of, of ministry or even our vision on some level, limit what God is doing in your life. We need each other to share that so that we can faithfully express the presence of God in our community. And so the greatest concern is not just the activation of the gift. Paul says in verse 24, and said, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all members are rejoice with it. Concern is for others. Paul is about to launch in what it looks like in 1 Corinthians 14. The band's going to go ahead and come up and come forward. And it's on this note that I say, a great musician may only serve twice a month so that the younger musicians can be raised up and inspired. Or someone who has a thought to themselves as someone who can be on stage chooses to serve in the kids' ministry because they know how important the next generation is. 
Valuing and discipling the next generation does not have to be shoehorned into a Sunday morning just because we haven't identified and named something like a greeter or a sound person for your gift doesn't mean what you have to offer is not needed. Within the imagery is an implicit understanding that the apparent superior cannot say to the inferior that we can live without you. No, all are needed. How does this come about? God gifts types of people along with gifting to aid the church. But Paul has in mind the major divisive tongues. So we're going to get to that. Stay tuned. Chapter 14 is coming where we talk about tongues. Is that a real thing? Is it not? But aid the church in what? Being the alternative. The church is where we don't ask people to build what we want, but to build with God. And here's my final reality. You are not your gift. You are not your gift. Whatever God has gifted you, the sum total of who you are, the gifts, your passions, your abilities, that that is not you. You are first and foremost a loved child of God. His son and daughter who has an eternal inheritance when you have said yes to Jesus. And out of that love, out of that reality, then you can live and find joy in your gift and how God has made you. And so live and love. And so we're going to sing some songs. We're going to respond together. And my hope is that you can appreciate the love and the joy that comes with knowing and trusting Jesus. So let's sing and let's respond together. Mm -hmm.